Well, good morning, Woodland Hills. Good morning. Good morning. Can I get a good morning? Good morning, wherever you are. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Um, from those that are watching us, I'm excited to be up here to share the word with you on this morning. And um, it's just good to see everyone in the building. It's just good to see you. So first, I want to say thank you to the good doctor, Reverend Dr. Gregory Boyd, <laughs> for giving me this opportunity to share with you. Um, I'm really excited about the message that I have, and hopefully you are as well. Um, so my name is Cedric Baker. Uh, hope some of you may have seen me up uh, as a volunteer in, uh, on the worship ministry, on the worship team. And uh, Rachel, my wife, and I have been attending Woodland Hills for about four years now. And um, over this last year, we had a little boy. A, pande a pandemic baby. And um, he's 10 months old now. And he, it, I will tell you, I have just been so excited about being a father. It is, um, it's just been really, really good. Um, and at times tiring because <laughs> he's 10 months old and so he's running everywhere. So I'm excited about that. I am from the South and um, I'm a product. All right, we have some people from the South in here. <laughs> I'm a product from the South, and so if you're familiar with the South and church, you understand that things may get a little loud in church. Um, we may start to hear a little amen, is a joyous occasion, and so because that is what I grew up with, I want to encourage you, and please also online, um, I want to encourage you, if something is resonating with you, please shout out an amen. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's great. That's great to hear. Uh, so please, please do that. Um, so have any of you been in a situation with a colleague or a coworker at work where it was just so hard to work with them? Extremely, <laughs> extremely difficult to work with them. Um, I want to say that I definitely had that experience a few years ago. I was dealing with a colleague and he was just extremely negative. You know those people that everything you talk about, they have to have a negative spin on it. It's always an issue, always a problem. No one does anything right. Well, this was that guy. And as we were working, I thought our relationship, working relationship was okay, but I started to hear rumblings of him beginning to talk about me to other colleagues, gossip about me, and anybody know me, I don't really do drama. I don't do drama, I do my work, I wanna do a really good job, as unto the Lord, as we all say, but I really wanna do a good job, and I like to have good interactions with my colleagues. And for some reason, I was just having a very hard time connecting uh, with this colleague. Um, he started to tell other colleagues about the job that I was doing at work and how it wasn't really good. He was talking about my work ethic, my work product, and now you're messing with something that is almost sacred to me. <laughs> you're, you're, you're messing with what I put my heart, soul, and mind into, which is my job, and now you're saying that I'm not doing a good job. So I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm starting to get angry. He started to misrepresent my points at work. I'm like, why? I mean, I, did I do something to you? Did I have, like, what, what's the issue? So of course, as the Christian that I am, I went to him 
and I tried to have a conversation and I thought that, okay, all right, this is done, it's settled, there's going to be no other issues, and yet I'm still hearing how he's like lying on me behind my back and I'm like, what is going on? I got to the point where I passed over from being angry to not wanting revenge. Um, because I didn't feel like I did anything to deserve what he said to me. Have any of you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you reached the point of now I'm no longer frustrated, I wanna get even. I want to get even with you. Well, we're gonna come back, but currently we're in a series right now, actually at a slow crawl, slowly unpacking Matthew 5, called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus's teaching. It's a continuous teaching of Jesus where he really outlines for us Christian living and our relationship with God. So the title of my message today is Learning to Love Your Enemies. Learning to love your enemies. And hopefully this will make more sense as we go on. So for those that were unable to uh, join us last week, you are in luck because we are going to actually go right back to the same verse that we read last week so you can hear it. Um, so you didn't miss out on anything. And this is Matthew 5, 43 through 47. And I believe actually is one of the most important verses in the Bible. It is a very difficult passage to read because it's really challenging us. And I'll be reading the New Living uh, Translations. And it says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans or Gentiles or the others do that. In other words, that's not really hard. Jesus' teaching style is, I I just love it. I love Jesus' teaching style because he has a way of drawing you in and then all of a sudden turning it on his face with what you think you know. So you think you know something? Well, let me tell you really what's going on. Jesus is literally challenging the common thinking of that day, which is why he was considered during this time so radical. His way of thinking was so radical to that culture. It was understandable to love those that you consider to be a part of your family, your friends, your tribe, those that were connected to you, those that were easy to be around, but not those that were considered your enemies or the other. And in this case, those that were non-Jews. The dominant narrative back in this day during Jewish culture was to hate those who God hates and then love those who God loves, which happens to be during this time, only Jews, right? And I want us to think about that. Don't we find ourselves in that type of a thinking even now? 
it is easy to love those that look like us and sound like us and came from our same background. It is easy to love those that are considered lovable. Amen? It is so easy to do that. The hard part is getting down to loving someone that just gets under your skin, that frustrates you to no end. That is what Jesus is pushing. I also like in this verse that Jesus highlights that you don't get any extra points for only loving those um, that support you, that there is no sacrifice or no, there is no difficulty, there's no difficulty in that. So one of the things that I want to point out is the challenge for us as we are really living our lives is moving over from a very self-centered focus of how you've hurt me, what you've done to me, and actually thinking about the other person, which is actually very hard and extremely hard to do. N.T. Wright, who is an English New Testament scholar, says this, and I actually really like his teachings and his writings. He says, the rule of love, I say again, is not an optional extra. It is the very essence of what we Christians are about. If you are a believer, if you are a part of the body of Christ, then our role is to love. Our, love, our role is to love those that are in our family, those that are a part of our friends, but it also means those that we consider the other, or in some cases, our enemies. What God requires is learning to love others when it is hard to do. This passage tells us to love those people who want you to suffer in some kind of way. This passage tells us to love those who want to embarrass you in front of others. It tells us to love those who have hurt you or wronged you or wronged one of your friends or family members. It tells us to love those that disagree with your opinions, your thoughts, your perspective. It tells us to love those who just aren't fun to be around. It tells us that we still have an obligation to love. The reason that this is so hard is because it actually pulls on how our culture is. Our culture pulls us in a certain direction to think about ourselves. It is very self-serving. So the reason I've had issues or problems or concerns with living this scripture out is because I'm thinking about what you did to me, what you did to my family, what you did to my friends, and they did not deserve that. I'm not thinking about you. I'm not thinking about you as a person. I'm not thinking about you as a human. I'm thinking about the pain, the embarrassment, the hurt that you caused me. And that's why it's extremely hard to do. I could admit that once I said, yes, I am going to live this out, I'm gonna walk this scripture out, I am going to really set out to love this person, be nice to this person, do well, be a blessing to this person. And right when I decided to move in that direction, my ego got in the way. My pride got in the way. I didn't wanna seem as I didn't want to be seen as uh, someone that was considered stupid. Why are you letting this person walk all over you? Why are you allowing this person to do this to you, and yet you still have the audacity to go and say hello to them? 
Is that a thing? That's not a thing. Yes, it is a thing. It is definitely a thing. When we learn to love our enemies, it highlights that we are connected to God and a part of his kingdom. This act is an expression of him. But to me, it's even more than that. The act of loving your enemies helps transform you into the image of God. I consider it character development. I believe that God uses the process of learning to love our enemies as the way to actually change our hearts. Without God's love, we are innately selfish. We are innately self-centered, self-serving. We are innately manipulative and overall careless to the thoughts of what's going on in another person's life without God's love. That is kind of the pull and the culture of this world. There is something special, hear me, there is something special about loving one's enemies. It allows you to view people the way God does. Someone who was worth dying for. And that's who we're talking about. Your enemy, the person that wants to do you harm, the person that wants to actually make your life pretty miserable, was still worth God through Jesus Christ coming down to die for. That is who we're talking about today. And so now enters into the conversation the Holy Spirit. So in the Bible, before Jesus died, he met with his disciples and he said, hey, I'm going to die, I'm going to leave you, but the Father, my Father will send you a advocate, an advocate, a comforter, and the name is Holy Spirit. So I grew up, remember I grew up in the South, so I grew up saying Holy Ghost. That's how I grew up. Some of you may have grew up saying Spirit, Holy Spirit, it's all the same thing. The Holy Spirit has a role to play in our ability as Christians to live what we are reading in Scripture. I want to read Romans 5, verses 5, and this is the NIV version. It says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the Holy Spirit has a role to play with us receiving the love of God. I don't believe, this, this is my personal opinion, I don't believe you can give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. Meaning that for me to love God's way, I need to be able to receive God's love. Can you agree to that? So if I need to receive God's love, that means that that would be the only way that I could truly, if you're my enemy, love you in a way that is representative of the kingdom of God. Loving others the way this passage expresses means that we will need God's love and he makes his love available through his spirit. However, we must be willing to yield ourselves to God's spirit. There is a part that the Holy Spirit plays in this, there's a part that God plays in this, but there's a part that you play in this. 
And the reason I bring that up as a comparison is because there is not uh, you do all things or the Spirit of God does all things. Our part and our commitment is making sure that we try our best to live this out. But you cannot will your way into doing it. I am a witness. I have tried it. It does not work, okay? It just doesn't work. You can't will your way into truly loving people the way God has asked us to do. It takes a higher power in being able to do that. But that doesn't put, that doesn't give you free reign to say, okay, I just need God to do it. You have a part to play as well. Amen? So what do we know? We know that God requires us to love everyone, our friends, our family, our neighbor, our coworkers, and specifically, he requires us to love our enemies, those that we consider unlovable, okay? Unlovable. We also know that when we love our enemies, it transforms us into the image of God. The act of loving our enemies does, God is amazing in how he has this set up. He's a genius because I probably would not have done it this way, okay? But God is a genius that he allows us to go through a process with someone that hates us and we commit ourselves to loving them and then for some odd reason, it transforms us into him. Isn't that crazy? But that's how it works. And then we also know that the involvement of the Holy Spirit is a key component to being able to truly and successfully walk this out. Amen? All right, so there are three points that I want us to keep in mind as we move to truly act this out. Number one, community is needed to do this. Community is needed to do this. And I would also say a diverse community is needed to do this. When I say diverse, I'm thinking gender, race, ethnicity, experiences. If everybody in my group thinks the way I do, look the way I do, talk the way I do, have the same experiences that I have, it's going to truly be hard for me to look and get that kingdom perspective of being able to love everyone. Sometimes we have issues because we just don't have perspectives in line. I have been blessed with the community of people around me because I consider it a melting pot of just differences, differences of race, gender, uh, ethnicity, experiences, some from the South, some from the West, some from the North. I think that it helps me, it helps my perspective when I'm trying to walk this out and do what God says. Amen. So community is needed. There is a support, there is a synergy when a community of people are doing the same thing. When you have a group of people that have committed themselves to truly walking this passage out and saying no matter what, no matter what, we are committed to holding each other accountable, supporting each other when we fall, to truly doing our best to love those that hate us. That's huge, and it's extremely, extremely powerful. Number two, this will come at a cost. This will come at a cost. It will cost you either resources, it will cost maybe your time, 
It will cost you being uncomfortable at times. Maybe there's embarrassment. The reason I bring this up is because I don't want us to be surprised when you get an onslaught of just really being uncomfortable in doing this, because it will happen. The picture I have when I'm thinking about this is someone actually trying to swim upstream or someone trying to swim against a current. It is extremely hard, but if you know that going in, as the Bible says, count the cost, it's easier for you to understand what you're up against. We have become so accustomed in our culture of giving up when things get too hard. That's just kind of how it is. It gets too difficult. Hey, there's another way to deal with it. I'm here to say that there really isn't another way on this. God's requirement is for us to love everyone, including our enemies. And you all, it's extremely hard, but it is still doable. We can get there. We can do it. No matter what, there is a cost one way or the other. The flip side of this is if you don't do it God's way, you end up being in a situation where you feel like you're indebted or the person, your enemy, is defining who you are. Your mood, I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to deal with that person right now. I used to get around, you know, that coworker that I talked about earlier, I don't want to deal, I don't want to talk. All of a sudden, I'm in a very serious, you know, mood. And I wasn't acting like that earlier on. The person was beginning to define who I was, and that is not God's best for our life. Amen? God wants us to be free. And a way for us to be free is being able to love those even when it's difficult to do. So no matter what, there's a, there's a cost. You also don't want to be defined by your motivational force of seeking revenge. It is ungodly and ruthless. When you are at a point where you've pretty much had enough and you just want to get even, your mind is just going and going on what you can do and how you can make that person look bad. And again, that is not God's best, just knowing that it will cost. And then lastly, number three, Praying for your enemies, I believe, is the starting point. There is an old saying uh, for achieving difficult goals, and hopefully some of you may know it. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Bite at a time. I'm not advocating for eating elephant, okay? <laughs> but the saying is true. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. What it's really saying is it is a process. There will be a journey it's a process. Starting praying for those that you consider your enemies, maybe you have an enemies list. <laughs> I'm not going to raise my hand. <laughs> but maybe you have an enemies list. Why don't you start there? Maybe it's a mental checklist of those that you consider your enemies. Let's start there. Maybe some of you say, hey, I don't have enemies. That's not me, I don't have, why don't you start with just dealing with difficult people, right? People that you just really don't like really being around. We can commit to praying for them, praying for their livelihood, praying for their children, praying for their families. 
Prayer allows God to get involved into your situation, but also prayer changes your heart about the person. I can't tell you the amount of times that I started praying and I wasn't into it. I didn't really care. To be honest with you, I didn't really care about the person because they were my enemy. And through the process of praying, I'm praying God changes them and God ends up changing my heart in the situation. God is just a genius at, again, using this type of a way to change us. Prayer changes your lens, and it actually, in my opinion, humanizes the person. You now all of a sudden see that this person really, yeah, they're annoying, and yeah, they're frustrating me, but they're human. And they have issues and problems and situations and families, and they're dealing with daycare and everything else that you deal with. They're a person. They're human. Prayer has that way of changing your lens on how you see that person. However, we must have a commitment amongst us to truly do what we are hearing. And when we say do, doing in our thinking, our imagination, but also in our actions. You think before you act. That's what we've been taught. You think before you act. You don't just do something. You have already thought about it before you actually act on it. In James 1.22, and I'll read the Amplified version, it talks about doing. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts and not merely listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he is like a man who looks very carefully at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what he looks like. But he who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and faithfully abides by it, not having become a careless listener, but forgets, but can active and actively an active doer who obeys, he will be blessed and favored by God in what he does in his life of obedience. So this is an an extremely difficult verse for me to read because I am naturally a learner by heart. I love new concepts. I love new ideas. I love picking them apart. I love the information coming at me. That's the reason I come to Woodland Hills, right? Because we're always digging into new concepts, really challenging different things that I don't necessarily hear out outside of Woodland Hills, so I love it. However, I don't always act on what I hear. I don't always internalize it to the point where it challenges me and pushes me to being a doer. There must be a commitment to acting on what we hear and showing it out in our daily lives. It does us no good to hear, 
that we need to love our enemies. No, it's a pretty good thing that I should. But yet when I'm challenged to do it, I say it's too hard and I back away. Amen? Amen. So remember when I told you about my colleague? Well, as hard as it was, you all, it was extremely hard. It was extremely hard. I started to pray for him. I started to pray for him, and in the beginning, my heart wasn't in it at all. I could care less. He could have got fired, and I would have probably, you know, jumped up and down. But I started to pray for him. And in the process of me praying for him, something actually started to happen internally. I started to yield myself to God's spirit, and I started to hear that, hey, you should pray for his family. Didn't know his family, wasn't really interested in his family, to be honest with you, just interested in him stopping to just make my life miserable at work. And I started to pray for his family. Well, I found out that during that same time, he was actually dealing with his spouse being in the hospital, and I had no clue. And I was getting a sense that I should pray for health for one of his family members. Well, we found out that his spouse was having complications walking and was in the hospital for a short amount of time. Greatly knowing that they were able to come out of the hospital, which was great. So that, that is the yay part of the story, right? When it, gets to, when it gets to how me and my colleague ended up acting after that, it still was a struggle. And I thought that after that, things would just completely change. It did not, actually. I still had to battle with that colleague. However, during the process of praying for him, Remember we said that when we pray, it transforms us and we start to see the person differently. I started to see a person that truly needed grace and help. And I did not see that earlier on. I just saw a person that was intent on making my life miserable at work. And so I'm grateful that I got involved and I allowed the Holy Spirit to get involved in the situation to be a blessing to his spouse, but also to him. But yet it's still a process and it's a journey. You may not have helped to deal with a colleague or a coworker, but rather you're dealing with a situation with a spouse that you're having issues with. You're dealing with a child where you just cannot come uh, in agreement with. You're having an issue with a boss that is just riding you to no end. Maybe that's your issue. Maybe you're having a problem with a jealous ex that you just can't seem to get around or get away from. Or just maybe you're dealing with a person that you consider other. No matter where you fit in this, the power in this message, the power is in our submission to God in loving that person and expressing the kingdom of God. The concept of having power under rather than having power over. It will be difficult, hands down. We know that going in.
But if we commit to praying and loving others, even when it is difficult, and inviting the Holy Spirit in, being a part of that situation, I truly believe, church, that we will be able to learn to love our enemies and express the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. So thank you for listening to me for a few minutes. I appreciate it. And um, hopefully you got something out of it. Um, as we end our service, um, please know that prayer is available. Prayer is available online, um, but also available here in the sanctuary if you need prayer and you would like um, someone to come in agreement with you of really being dedicated and committed to learning to love um, those that we consider unlovable. Also, we have gathering groups where you would like, uh, actually people from all over the world connect to dig a little bit deeper in processing uh, different concepts and in the sermon. Um, please know that that's available as well. And we have, uh, I think the MuseCast. We have the MuseCast. <laughs> we have the MuseCast on Tuesday where Shauna and Dan goes a little bit deeper into uh, this sermon. So please make sure um, you uh, sign up and uh, go online for that. Lastly, please don't forget to uh, sign your kids up for Heroes Gate to save them a spot for next Sunday. We want to make sure that you register so we can prepare um, for them so you can have a great experience in here and they have a great experience in there. I now know what that means. A hundred percent, I know what that means. Um, so everyone, please stand with me and we'll end in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for our time together. We thank you for you speaking to us. We thank you for hearing your word and having a commitment to be a doer to loving our enemies. Lord, we know that it's going to be difficult. We understand that it will be hard, but we know that you're with us. We are inviting your spirit to help us and to guide us. And thank you, God, for the people that you will pull around us to go with us and walk this out in a community fashion. We thank you, we pray the blessing over everyone here as they walk this out in their everyday life this week. In Jesus' name, please go and be blessed, amen. Amen. amen.